talk about power coming through and making its home with us. And that's what this whole thing is about, isn't it? God with us. I mean, before God was some distant concept that people couldn't even fathom, but now, now, God has made his home with us. And you know, I don't care if you never got a Christmas present or if you've never been able to give a Christmas present. If you have the present that was given to us on that night and laid in that manger, then you, my friend, have every present then you could have, that you could ever need. And your Merry Christmas has already been sung until the end of eternity. Can you give him praise today? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? In the book of Luke, in chapter 2, we get the Christmas story. Not the one with the BB gun. Yeah. This one won't put your eye out, but he did say to pluck it out if it caused you to sin. <laughs> and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up, to Gal went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <coughs> Excuse me. And suddenly there was an angel, and suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now they had seen him and made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things. Say all the things. All the things. Some of the things. All the things. A few of the things. All the things. Most of the things. All the things. All the things that were told, all the things that, were, that they had heard and seen. Praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, we praise you. 
We praise you that you were made real in the manger and on the cross and at the empty grave. God, we praise you that your glory was revealed to us over and over and is revealed to us over and over. God, we praise you and we worship you and we ask you to open this word to us today. Let it speak to our hearts and let it just remind us just how real that you really are in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give him a shout of praise one more time. Amen. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to break down some more of that scripture plus some more scripture for you real quick in just a minute. But first, I want to give you some context. See, first, I want to make this thing real for you. See, that's all I want for Christmas is for this to be real to you. See, at some churches kind of like ours, you would get three ways to have a better Christmas. Or five ways to increase your giving this Christmas. Last year, I gave you five ways to be ungrinched. Wasn't that cute? This year, I just want this to be real to you. Because if you want to have a better Christmas, this needs to be real to you. If you want to be ungrinched, this needs to be real to you. If you want to give more, then this needs to be real to you. If, if you want to do whatever... If you want to believe, if you want to do any of the other cute, catchy Christmas things that we throw on there, if you want to have joy and faith and peace and all these things over here that we light the Advent candles and saying, this needs to be real to you. And, and we may on the surface think, ah, maybe, but no, 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 no. I need this to, to be what you live and breathe is this manger and the contents that it had 2,000 years ago. That's what I need. That's what you need is to believe that this is real. And today I want you to leave here knowing that this is real in a way that maybe you never have before. And maybe we'll take a strange path to get there. But do you trust me? Yeah. yeah. Do you? Yeah. Stay with me then. So I was down in Louisiana. Uh, you know, I'm taking some classes down there. I was at dinner with some of my pastor buddies from down in Louisiana. And we went to a, seafood, a Cajun seafood place called Buckets. Hallelujah. And at Buckets, I got seafood nachos. I need to explain this to you, man. It was a plate full of tortilla chips, and on it was grilled fish and grilled shrimp and crawdads covered in Creole Cajun seasoning. And then layered with queso cheese and jalapenos. Somebody testify, man. Come on. It was so good. And there was so much of it that I couldn't even eat it all. And I'm a big old boy, so if there's something that I can't eat all of, you know that it was a healthy portion. I ate all my food at Shogun. Does anybody else eat all their food at Shogun? All I know is my parents, all I know is everybody else in my family brings home a, a, a to-go box that's heavier than the weights I put on the bar from the Shogun, and I come home with nothing. And then the next day when everybody else is eating their Shogun food, I'm like, hey. <laughs> hey, son, you know that I pay your cell phone bill and keep a roof over your head, right? Think I could have some of that Shogun? And I'm like, hey, wife, you know that you promised to love me forever for richer or poor. Right now I'm pouring Shogun food. <laughs> they don't ever help me out. Oh, they do. I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying I eat all my food, even there. But I couldn't eat all these nachos, and they was good. Oh, they were so good. So good. But while we were eating dinner, we were just having a conversation with these other pastors that are in the same classes that I'm in. And, and one of the guys was like, you know, we're famous for all this Creole Cajun cooking. You know, what, what kind of food are you famous for up there in Kentucky? 
And, and one of the guys at the table was like, oh, they, they've got the hot brown. And I was like, man, nobody eats a hot brown in Kentucky. I was like, I don't even think I've ever had one. And it was like, it's a turkey sandwich with cheese sauce on it, man. Nobody eats hot browns in Kentucky. I was like, there's only one kind of food that we're famous for in Kentucky. I mean, it's got 11 herbs and spices. It's finger licking good. I mean, it comes in a bucket that this restaurant is named after. In Kentucky, we are famous for some Kentucky fried chicken. Can somebody just give God praise for Kentucky fried chicken? I mean, it's real to us. It's real to us. I mean, we know that we can go there and get a $20 fill-up meal. Original with mashed potatoes and gravy and coleslaw and biscuits, man. Come on. And we know that if we do that, that our belly will be full. Amen. That's real to us. Because when you're close to the origin of something, oh, come on, man. When you're close to the origin of something, it means something to you. KFC means something to us. It's real to us. It's real to us. I want this manger to be real to y'all. I, 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 want, I want Kentucky, I want my old Kentucky home to be connected to the little town of Bethlehem. And I'm going to use KFC to do it. <laughs> so I need you to understand this. Bethlehem is not some fairy tale place. Bethlehem ain't Narnia. Bethlehem ain't the other side of the rainbow. And I don't care what you did this last Friday night, but Bethlehem ain't no galaxy far, far away either. It's a real place that you can really go to. Mary and Joseph really went there. I really went there, and you can really, shut up, Brent. And, and you can really go there too. As a matter of fact, from the way church to the church of the nativity in Bethlehem in the West Bank, where Jesus was laid in the manger, it is 6,347 miles. Seemed like a long way, right? And yet you can go there. You can go there. Yeah, see? There you go. 6,347.45 miles from Horse Cave at the doorstep of the Way Church to the doorstep of the Church of the Nativity. But you know what's closer? Do you know what's closer to where they laid Jesus in the manger than the Way Church is? Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm serious. The Church of the Nativity is right here, and two blocks away, uh, there is a KFC. You think I'm playing? I'm not. There's a Kentucky Fried Chicken there, and I had been, I'd been eating falafel for nine days, and I did not want any falafel anymore. And so when I saw that KFC, man, my heart leaped for joy. I was like, grease and taters and bread, oh my! And I was so happy to see a KFC, because see, it means something to me. It means something to me. A stone's throw away from where Jesus was born and laid in the manger, there's a big old sign that says Kentucky on it. You know what that means? You are connected to that little town of Bethlehem. There it is. You are connected to Bethlehem. And, and some people have said to me when I share that with them, because I think it's awesome, people are like, oh, you're ruining my Holy Land experience. I thought it was like all dust and rocks and ancient times. No, 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 no. That should not ruin your Holy Land experience. That should amplify your Holy Land experience. You know why? Because that's a real place where real people live. 
a real place where real people live. It's not some pretend fairy tale land. It's not some museum somewhere. This is a real city with real people that you can really go to. This is a place where people live. This is a place where today people will get off work and go get them some KFC just like we would. I mean, it's real. It's a real, real, real place. Let me tell you something else. You know where else is, was close to where Jesus was born? Where did they go right before Jesus was born? Somebody tell me. AFC. No. <laughs> I thought I told you to hush. Where'd they go? Somebody. They went to an inn. Right. What do they do at an inn? Yeah, people can sleep there. They, they offer room. What else can you do at an inn in Mary and Joseph's day? Eat. That's exactly right. So Jesus was actually born right outside a place where you gave people money for food. Jesus was born very close to a restaurant. So I need you to understand that connection. I need you to understand just how real that this thing is. Jesus was born probably the same vicinity to that inn that he was, that, 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 that KFC is to the church of the nativity now. I need you to understand this is a real place with real people. I, I want you to understand that this happened at a real time as well. You know, this didn't happen long, long ago. It happened 2,023 years ago at a specific time in history. About 4 B.C. is when this took place. So about 2,023 years ago is when this took place. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's, that's an eternity. That's two millennia. That's just forever. Let me put it in perspective for you. Let me put it in perspective. I mean, from my mom to me to Logan and Titus, that's three generations, right? Three generations. I mean, some of you families right now have four and five generations. What, from Louise to Anita to Carly to, you know, to James to the, the great-grandbaby. I mean, we're talking about five generations. We're talking about a lot of people. And it's only 65 generations to Jesus. Stay with me. It's only 65 generations to cover those 2,023 years. If we have five, then it's only 60. I've traced my lineage back about 16 generations to, the, to Wiltshire, England, and a lady named Margaret Hungerford. From her, it's only 49 generations to the time of Christ. Are you starting to understand that, that even our finite minds can process this? That we can get this? It's not some far-removed far fantasy kind of a thing. This happened at a real place at a real time. And the people that it happened to were real. They weren't some like fantastic, like perfection type people that you would find in a story. No, man, they were real people. You know, that Mary was between somewhere between 13 and 15, they say. She was a kid. This wasn't an adult woman that was having to deal with this situation. This was a child, a teenage girl that was dealing with the fact that she was pregnant by the living God. And do you think anybody believed her except Joseph? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Let me ask you, if your kid came up to you and was like, Mom, Dad, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, what would you say? And that's in the liberal culture that we live in. Think about the strict, rule-manifested, legalistic Jewish culture that they were part of. She was supposed to be stoned to death, ultimately. 
or at least put away by her husband, and yet she wasn't. And then think about Joseph. We, we sang that song twice today, Mary, did you know? Well, Mary did know. She did. She knew that she'd never been touched by a man. Joseph didn't know. Now, the angel told him, and he had faith, but he didn't know. He had to go on faith. Who had the harder job? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, there's arguments to be made for both sides, but he didn't know. He didn't know. He believed. He didn't know. Not only that, after he'd made this decision, he had to pack up his pregnant wife, nine months pregnant wife, and take her, you know, uh, several many miles to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And, and I know that it shows a donkey and all the nativity pictures that you saw on Google, but the, the Bible doesn't describe a donkey. There, there's, no, there's no donkey in the scriptures. She probably walked nine months pregnant, walking with her husband. And I want you to listen to this too. It said that all the people had to go to their hometown. All the people had to gather up and go to be counted in their hometown, right? So if Joseph had to take his family and go to his hometown to be counted, where was the rest of his family? Where was the rest of his family? How come he wasn't traveling with any of his family? And how come he couldn't stay with some of his family when he went back to his hometown where he was from? You know why? I believe it's because they've been ostracized by the rest of their family. They've been pushed aside because this girl's pregnant from God. And then this cuckolded husband that should have been mad enough to put her to the side is going to keep her. They were cast outs. They were outcasts. They had real problems. Not to mention Joseph had to go to this way off far city to be counted by the government so he could, so he could pay taxes. You know that's why he had to go? So they could tax him? So this oppressive government was taxing him. I, I just, I'm just saying that so you can understand that these are real people with real problems. These aren't some fantastical creations. They're real. This all happened at a real place. You can go there. There's a Kentucky Fried Chicken there. This happened at a real time. You can count it. It was only 65 generations of people ago. It, you, you can count it. It happened to real people. Real people. Broken people. People with real problems and real issues and real lives. But that just all goes to support what I'm about to tell you. That because it happened at a real place, at a real time to real people, I know that it was brought about by a real God. A real God, not some fake made up God, not some fairy tale fantasy, but a real God, a real creator that has real grace and real love and is worthy of real faith. Can you say amen? Yeah, give God praise. He deserves it here today. He deserves it here today. But even further than that is this. Not only did this happen at a real place, at a real time to real people and was orchestrated by a real God, but this whole thing has a very real purpose. A very real purpose. Let me read some more scripture to you real quick. And I want you to listen really closely to what I'm saying. So if you're fooling with your phone, stop. If you're taking notes, just close it up for a minute. If you're messing with somebody else in the crowd, just hold on. If you got to go to the bathroom, just wait just a minute and listen to what I'm about to say. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and the Bible says this. 
the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. A very real purpose. See, God didn't come into the world to heal. He can do that just fine from heaven. God didn't come into the world to deliver from worldly things. He can do that just fine from heaven. God didn't come into the world to speak to us. He can do that just fine from heaven. He, he didn't come into the world to, to, to wage wars for us and do battle for us. He can do that just fine from heaven. He came into the world for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous because he would have been wasting his time. And if I know anything about Christ Jesus, it's this. He don't ever waste his time. He's always right on time. Can you say amen? He don't waste his time. He don't waste his time. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for a bunch of sinners like me uh, and like, like you. That's why I came. And if you've never had a moment when you realize that you were the worst of all sinners, then maybe you just need to open your mind and your heart and seek God. Because he didn't come to save us a little. He didn't come to save us a little. He came to save us all the way. He didn't come to save you from, you know, ah, maybe I need a little Jesus, but I sure am better than all the rest of those folks. No, 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 no. See, if you've broken one point of the law, you've broken the whole law. If you're guilty of any sin, you're guilty of all the sins. See, no sin is worse than any other according to God because every one of them is a slap in his face. And if you walk up to God and slap him in the face, you've done all the insulting and all the rebelling that you can really do. And anything that you've ever done has done that. And there was a rift that was caused between us and God because of that. Because, man, God just can't look at sin, man. He can't be around rebellion. Because you know what, what, what God has to do when we rebel against him? I mean, you know what he has to do? I mean, he has to squash us. It's just true. I mean, the wrath of God is against the rebellion against God. But, man, he don't want to do that. He don't want to do that because God is love. Like them boys were saying just a minute ago out here when we lit the candle, man, God is love. And so the only thing that God couldn't do from heaven was to save sinners. You know why? Because there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And unfortunately, spirits don't bleed. See, God is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. But see, spirits don't bleed. And so in order for God to be able to pay the price for our sins, he had to bleed. And in order for God to be able to bleed, God had to be real. And he was already real. But when I say real, I mean real to us in a physical sense that we could touch him and we could taste him and we could smell him and we could see him and we could encounter him. God had to be real to us. He had to take on flesh and bone and he had to be filled with blood so he could pour that blood out for me and for you 
And so in Isaiah, man, he prophesied that a son was going to be born to a virgin and we'd name him God with us. Because God wasn't going to be distant anymore. God was going to be close. God wasn't going to be untouchable anymore. God was going to be able to be encountered by anyone and everyone. I think that's why he was laid in a feed trough. Because anybody can get there. You may have to humble yourself to get there, but you can get there. That's why. So we could touch him, so we could encounter him, so we could experience him. And so, there was one that came before him to point the way to him. And, and John the Baptist was born to just be the one that pointed at the light and said, here he is. He's coming. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit, or the, the angel Gabriel came to this virgin named Mary that, that Brent preached about last week, and the power of the Holy Spirit just overshadowed her. And when it did, there was one cell, one egg cell in Mary's womb that became fertilized by the power of God. And that one cell was filled with the power of God and the hope of all mankind. One cell. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't you ever let anybody tell you that little things don't matter. Don't you let anybody ever tell you that small things can't turn into big things, that little acts of faith can't turn into epic acts of faith, that little bitty miracles from God can't turn into incredibly huge, earth-shattering, heaven-shaking, soul-saving, power-filled, love-showing, glorious miracles of the living God. Because my Savior started with one cell, one cell, a tiny little microscopic cell that the hope of all mankind was founded on. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our salvation in that one cell. And then it began to multiply. It began to divide. And the processes that God had already put in place began to take over and he began to form and he began to grow and nine months later he was delivered and he was laid in a manger but it wasn't just a baby that was laid in a manger it was the grace of God made real See, before that, the grace of God was some abstract concept that maybe we could grasp and maybe we couldn't. And maybe it was real and maybe it wasn't. Maybe things are going my way because I'm such a cool person. Maybe things are going my way because of good luck. Maybe it's grace, maybe it's not. But now, all of a sudden, grace is tangible. Now, all of a sudden, grace can be seen and heard and touched and known the grace of God made real in that manger, but not just that. In that manger was the fulfilled faith of all mankind. See, before that, faith was the essence of, of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. But all of a sudden, faith has been fulfilled. All of a sudden, it's not the essence of what's been hoped for anymore. All of a sudden, our faith has been fulfilled. We don't just hope for it. We can see it, and we can touch it, and we can feel it, and we know it's true because we can see him, and everything is just as they said that it was. 
the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Daniel and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Habakkuk, my favorite, and Hosea, Malachi, Malachi. What's Malachi 5 2, right? Oh, Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem, the weakest and smallest of cities. Don't worry, because a ruler's going to come from you. That's the Paul revised version, in case you were wondering. Faith fulfilled. But not just the Old Testament prophets, this faith was fulfilled. You know who else's faith was fulfilled in that manger? Mine. And you know who else's? I hope to God yours was. I hope that your faith has already been fulfilled in that manger. And you know what else was real, man, what the scripture says? The grace of God was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. God is love, and his love became flesh and was laid in a manger. God lavished his love on us that we could become children of God. And it's right there. The glorious grace of God, the fulfilled faith in God, and the lavished love of God laid in a manger, in a real place, at a real time, surrounded by real people, orchestrated by a real God to serve a real purpose. And that purpose was just this to save sinners, to save sinners. He that knew no sin became sin so that drug addicts, yeah, that was me. That's why I lead off with that. So that, you know, adulterous, fornicating people, so that rich, greedy, financially lascivious people so that hateful, angry, judgmental people, so that every single broke down, messed up, turned around, upside down, corrupted, evil-filled person that would ever walk the face of the earth could be made righteous in the eyes of God by his By his blood. Let me tell you one more thing and we'll wrap this up. The shepherds. Man, man I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad my king came about the way he did. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad that my king was born to an to a underage girl that everybody cast doubt on. Man, I, I'm glad that my king... Was, was, was born to a, to a man that was struggling with his identity in the face of all these people. I'm glad that my king was born in the, in the bad part of town where they said nothing good ever came from. I'm glad there was no room at the inn. Man, I'm glad that my king was born out in a barn or a cave or whatever it was and laid in a feed trough. Man, I'm glad. You know why? Because I can identify with him. Because I can identify with him. Because I've, I've been through a struggle in my life too. Who's been through a struggle in their life? Yeah. Yeah, you know who else has been through a struggle in their life? Your king has. Man, he wasn't born into riches. 
He wasn't born into earthly glory. Man, he was born in the midst of a mess. He was born in the midst of a struggle. They laid him in a feed trough, for goodness sakes. How many of y'all was laid in a feed trough? Yeah, me neither. He had it worse than we did. The King of glory, the Son of God, the Savior of all creation had it worse than we did. I'm glad that he was. I'm glad that God sent him. I, I, I'm glad God sent him and I read the Gospels and I learned his personality. I love him. I love, I love him. I love him. I'm glad it was him. I'm glad it was him. And, and I know some of you are like, well, it had to be him. Ah, I'm glad it was him. Man, he is. He's real. He has a personality. You can connect with him. You can know him. Not just be saved by some existential force, man. You can know him. You can connect with him. And I'm so glad it was him. I'm so glad it was him because he's so awesome. He's so awesome. Because whatever you've been through, he's been through it too. He's been in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Man, those of us that have struggled with falling into temptation, man, he was there. Those of us that have been tempted with, with anything on this earth, man, it says that he was tempted with it all. He knows. He had people betray him and turn their backs on him. His closest friends betrayed him with a kiss. His closest friends denied that they ever even knew him. The same people that were shouting Hosanna when he rode in on the donkey were shouting crucify him the next day, next week. Man, he knows how it feels. He started off in a mess. He started off in a mess. There was no room for him at the end. He wasn't even in the town he was going to live in. Herod was about to send some people to kill him. I mean, you know, that's part of the story. We'll talk about that next week. He was born in the midst of a struggle, and it didn't let up. It didn't let up. He struggled his whole life. Struggle. But he overcame them all. Back to what I would, that one thing that I was going to say. That wasn't it. I'm glad that he was attended to by dirty shepherds that was out in a field doing work that was tired and been up all night like I have now. I'm glad. A lot of people think, and I'm one of them, based on some scriptures from, you know, some of the Old Testament prophets and some other research that they've done, that the sheep that were out in the field that night... They weren't just regular sheep. This, this wasn't sheep that they were going to shear and make nice wool coats out of. The sheep that those shepherds were attending to were specifically raised for the temple sacrifice. The sheep that were being watched over by the shepherds in the field that the angels appeared to to proclaim that Jesus Christ had been born these were the shepherds that were watching over the sheep that were specifically being raised to be taken to the temple to be killed as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of all of Israel. So basically what those angels were doing was they were showing up to tell these shepherds that they were out of a job. We're sorry, but your services will no longer be needed, but we wish you the best in all your future endeavors but we don't need you to do this anymore because the perfect lamb has been born. The perfect sacrifice has come into the world. You won't have to take these sheep and kill them every year anymore. 
the perfect sacrifice that's going to atone for the sins of all. All. Say all. all. Man, do you believe that you fall into that all today? The perfect sacrifice that's going to atone for the sins of all mankind has been born into the world. And it's him, not these sheep. It's him, not these sheep that are going to be the atoning sacrifice for us all. Guys, this is real. This is real. I know because I've lived it. I know because the glorious grace of God, the fulfilled faith of God, the lavish love of God that was laid in that manger came into my life. Came into my life. The worst of all sinners. The worst of all sinners. And you're thinking, yeah, right, preacher, let's make a list. The worst of all sinners. And saved me. And if he can save me, I know that he can save you. If his blood atones for my sins, I know that his blood can atone for yours. And so, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of that sin is death. Hey, we're good. That the wages of that sin is death. That's what we earn by it. But that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gospel is that all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not, not just a few. Not the ones that check all the boxes and do all the stuff. No, 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 no. All that call on the name of the Lord. Not the ones with the right background and pedigree and economic level. Not the ones that are the right color. Not the ones that speak the right language. No, all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how do we do that? Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart that this is real. If you believe in your heart that that cross is real. If you believe in your heart that that empty grave is real, and then you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord of your life, you will be saved.